Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We are going to be finishing up our series on Blessed. It's been a really fun series, and today we're ending with this message called Bless Me. We've learned this whole month about how this term blessing in the Bible really isn't as much of, uh, <laughs> much of the definition that matches when we hear it in church. Um, typically, we think of just like these materialistic ideas of blessing or just like fame, fortune, even comfortability. And we've learned that most of the time what's connected to God's blessing over us is responsibility and even pressure. And it's just this calling that's directly connected to the term blessing. And so we've been trying to unpack what blessing is and trying to unpack what our calling is this entire month. And we're going to be uh, finishing this month with a story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not necessarily a popular book in the Bible. It's not one that you hear a lot in churches. Um, and I don't think it's usually one heard around Christmas time or New Year's either. But I really believe that there's some important stuff in Nehemiah that is, that is God wanting to speak to us entering into the new year. I mean, 2020 for most people has been not fun. <laughs> and as we're looking to 2021, I really believe that we're, we're stepping into a new season, a new year. And I feel like it's so symbolic of what everything we went through, uh, so many of us went through this year in 2020. It's, uh, I've heard someone say that it's like 2020 hindsight, uh, 2020 vision. And I think at the beginning of the year, everyone had this idea that 2020 was going to be where all of our vision is fulfilled. But what it forced us to see is that it made all of our plans go on hold and cause us to see life for what it really is. It revealed a lot of things in our own lives. We've uh, Anyone that uh, was forced to stay with their families and started having dysfunctions and started realizing that they don't get along as they thought they did, you start realizing almost like a deeper level of clarity this year of how much not as close to our family we were and how much closer we became. We learned a lot about government and, and our nation and politics. Some things that I feel like most of us, we, we could care less at the beginning of the year. And then when we, all that we went through this year, it almost opened so many people's eyes to issues that we didn't even know were issues when it comes to in our own country. I mean, we could go on and on about how this year taught us not as much about what we want, but what we have right now. And as we entered to 2021, I really believe that so many of us have sacrificed and sown so much uh, into this year that entering 2021, our hearts cry is, God, please bless me as for, for what we did this year, what I sacrificed this year, what I endured this year. And we're going to look at what that looks like. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 19, Nehemiah says, Remember, O oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. It's one of the few times in scripture where we actually see someone crying out to God and asking God to bless them contingent on their behavior. 
So many other times we just see this idea of bless me or God bless them. But here Nehemiah has been pouring himself out into this work and, and trying to do all that he was doing for others. Huge humility, huge sacrifice. And he's saying, God, please bless me for this. Don't let everything that I've sacrificed go un- overlooked. And so I want to start off with just kind of grazing through Nehemiah's story. At Gravetop, we really like to dive into the context of Scripture. We really like to unpack the story. We don't like to just do uh, one a single verse here and there. We don't like doing coffee mug verses. We really want to pull out the story and see what we can um, learn from it and grow from it. And so starting off, the first point is when I heard this. And what we're really going to be talking about throughout this point is a calling starts with your heart being troubled by a problem. A calling starts with your heart being troubled by a problem. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, in this part of the story, what we see is Israel and Judah, they've, they've been, uh, they were exiled, they were taken away captive <clears throat> for many years, and now they're actually for, finally allowed to go back into their homeland. And this is where we leave off. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how they were doing in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Let's pause here for a moment. I want us to see that Just in the moment where Nehemiah heard this great problem, his heart was so incredibly moved to the point where there's no show here. It's it's literally just a genuine, authentic, troubled, uh, a moving of his heart where he mourned and fasted. No one told him to fast. No one told told him to to weep or put on this big show. But it was something that was a, a natural reaction out of his heart. And there's so many times where we experience something that moves our heart in this way. It could be a true passion, like some people who feel called to, to, mission, uh, to be a missionary in other countries. It could be just being a minister, uh, in ministry in whatever shape or form. Maybe it's a calling to homeless ministry, just a ministry that, that really moves your heart. And maybe this is something that what's moving your heart right now is your family, and you're thinking about the people that don't know God, or you're thinking about the people that are really struggling right now to where you just can't get them out of your mind. It's like, it's something that bothers you to a point where you lose sleep over it. When you're laying down, you're still thinking about it. This is a problem that moves people. And it's, it's what leads us to finding our callings. And let me be clear that we often have more than one calling. We have multiple callings throughout our life. We live for a long time. So it's not that we just have one calling, one purpose. One of my callings is being a dad. 
I ha that is one of my callings, not my only calling. Another simple calling is being a husband. That's one of my other callings out of many. Another calling being a pastor. <laughs> Y'all get what I'm saying? There's there's multiple callings that we're moved to, and especially these ones that are troubling on our hearts, where they move our hearts. Let's continue on. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. This is about, what, like six months later, it was fall, and now we're going into spring. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Pause. The reason he's terrified is because in those days, it, you were not allowed to show any kind, of, any kind of sadness or any negative emotion or feeling in front of the king. And so what would happen is that it, if the king wanted to, you could be ex executed on the spot just for looking sad in front of him. So that's why it says he was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. You know, this is something so powerful, because what we're seeing is that this, this, this calling in Nehemiah's heart truly turned into a passion to where he had been playing with this idea in his head of, man, I could do something about it. I need to do something. I need to do something. And it's not about him thinking so much of himself, but the fact that he's just so willing to be a part of something when it comes to making it better. And he had already been playing with this idea so much in his head to where when the king asked him, what's making you so sad? He exuded so much passion and to the point where the king was moved. Have you ever had someone talk to you about a problem you didn't even know was a problem and by the end of the conversation, you're like, oh my gosh, someone should do something. This is what's happening with Nehemiah to where it is just a natural reaction to, uh, for him because of how much he's been thinking about it. I mean, he's been, when, when you get a passion for a calling, it causes you to use your imagination to where no one is, is, is asking him, how could you make it work? But he's literally fantasizing about, man, if there, if there was any way possible, how, how could I go? How long would it really take me? To where when the king asks him with the queen sitting next beside him, to the point where the queen is looking like, well, how long would you be gone? I mean, it shows that at the drop of the hat, he was able to answer this presentation of what he would need, how long he would be gone, and when he would return. I mean, that's a lot of, of thought and, and preparation that he already had ready not because he ever imagined really asking the king, but because he was so just invested into this calling in his heart to where he didn't even think he would be able to go. And I want to point out here that so many times we have these callings deep within us, but we are so afraid of failure 
that we never give ourselves an opportunity to try. Do you notice that he went from thinking he was going to die to to all of a sudden the king agreed to his request and said, all right, go. Not only did he agree for him to leave, but he actually, the king supplied all of the resources to be able to rebuild. He even provided him with the authority, letters giving him authority in the land for anyone that would oppose him to present and say, I have authority of the king to, to rebuild these walls. I mean, he, he literally got everything he could dream of in this response from the king. And to think that if he was too afraid to mention, at this point where it says, I was terrified, but I replied. See, most of us, we get in these points where opportunity finally comes to us, but we're so terrified where we, we pretend like we're not interested. We pretend like we really don't want it. It's almost, I, I, I would relate it to when you're really struggling with money and someone randomly is like, hey, let me buy that for you. And what's your first response? Oh, no, you don't have to do that. Where everything in you is like, oh, my God, please buy this for me. I'm broke. I can't even afford food. And yet, for some reason, we pretend because we're terrified for some reason. You know, how much more when it comes to our callings, when it comes to promotions, when it comes to our careers, starting our own business, going back to school, or even marriage, where where you're, you're literally on the brink of, of wanting to be with someone forever, but you're so afraid of failure to where you reserve yourself and pretend like you don't really want it. I don't know why girls do this all the time to where they want everything in them, wants the guy to commit. But when asked about it, they're like, oh, it's not really a big deal to me. Liar! <laughs> what are you talking about? Why would you say that? And it's this fear of failure, this fear of rejection. But look, you don't know the future. What if it turns out to be the answer to everything you ever dreamed of, just like it was for Nehemiah? You know, these callings that are started by, by seeing and hearing these problems or, or situations that move you, you know deep within yourself that someone should do something. You know, you just know deep within yourself that something needs to happen, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a, a, a calling, a starting a business, a career, whatever it is for you. And Nehemiah carried this burden on his shoulders for months until he couldn't even control his countenance in front of the king. He's been in front of the king for, for over 30 years and this issue was so troubling to him to where he didn't even realize he was taking his baggage to work. And this burden on his shoulders was intense. And he just knew that he should be where he was being called in his heart. And with all of this being said, I, I, I want to urge you again, don't let fear of failure stop you from ever trying. There's no way to know what you don't know. We often get so stuck in the details uh, and we, we try to imagine, well, I, won't, I don't even know what would happen if, for this or I don't know how, uh, how am I supposed to get married? I don't even have any furniture yet. Well, I don't even have, I'm supposed to have a house and I only have an apartment. We have all these details that don't even make sense sometimes when we're trying to fulfill one of our callings. And I'm going to tell you, most of the problems that Nehemiah ran into had nothing to do with what was supplied in this moment. 
He was given all the bare bones and skeletons to where it's like, oh, well, you, need, you have everything you need to start. But he ended up running into problems he never even thought he would run into. And it just goes to show that you don't know what you don't know. You just have to start and figure out the rest. And you can't just get caught up in trying to plan every little detail to where you simply never start. Details are meant to be done, but they're meant to be done through when, while you're actually going through the process and in the finished work. You, you really can't always plan details and it will often hinder you from just simply starting. Let's go into this idea about passion. This next point is I was very angry. I was very angry. No one will be more passionate about your calling than you. You could replace calling with anything. No one will be more passionate about your family than you. No one will be more passionate about your job, your business. No one will be more passionate about your marriage but you. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, about this, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family of those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell all our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it. For our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. Pause right there. What is the difference between selfish anger and righteous anger? Selfish anger is equivalent to someone cutting you off on the road. I get that all the time. It just rises up. I'm, it, just, it just is a reactionary emotion. It doesn't really do anything to anybody but make me mad because of my selfish reasons. How dare you treat me like that? That's selfish anger. Now, righteous anger, what does that look like? I'll give a short example. When I was a youth pastor... There was a young man that wanted to volunteer with the youth. What I typically did is most people wanted to just take the microphone and speak because they thought they were so smart. And I said, well, how about you come and move chairs for a couple weeks? So what I found out just within the first week is girls, young high school girls started coming up to me and my wife and saying, the new guy that started volunteering is asking all the girls for their numbers. I became very angry because of a sense of protection and because of it being just a pure and holy place that someone's trying to do dirty work. See, that is a righteous anger. And now let's continue on. It says, he was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. This is great wisdom that the Bible is giving us, even with righteous anger. It says, after thinking it over, after taking a moment to cool down and not responding reactionary, but with wisdom and passion. It says, when I, uh, it says then, I spoke out against these nobles and officials and I told them, 
You are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all that we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What are you what you are doing is not right. Should you walk in the fear should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. Why is he so mad? Because they are literally trying to rebuild something. And everybody is hurting. It's equivalent to these people that are taking advantage of a horrible situation. Dare I say that they are going through a pandemic and wealthy people are taking advantage of the situation. Wouldn't that be just horrible? That's what's happening. And you see how angry it made him? You see how this righteous anger is moving him to to rebuke and correct every person there and saying, you need to go back and reverse everything you did. What's going on in this story is that this is not the only situation. There's so many moments where these people and even the priests and the other leaders keep going backwards while he was working so hard to move forward. It is almost surprising to see how many times the people lost focus for what they were doing for their own homes and lives. Nehemiah was more passionate, determined, and loyal to his homeland, and he wasn't even going to be able to stay there. Remember, the king said, when are you going to be back? Nehemiah is giving everything he's got to these people, and it's to build something that lasts. It's a really great reference to understand and use discernment of what kind of passion we really have for something. There's a lot of times where we feel passionate about something, but a great way to determine if it's a true passion of a calling or true passion that is, that is really worthy is that true passion like that leads to something that lasts rather than something you simply enjoy in the moment. True passion leads to something that lasts rather than something that only is enjoyed in the moment. You know, I just keep feeling led going back to this idea of relationships and marriage. The different, when it comes to sex, the difference between just uh, premarital sex and married sex is that one is simply doing it for the enjoyment of the moment, while the other is doing it with the intention to last. It's within a, a, a commitment to last. Did you know that the statistic that is popularly uh, quoted that 50% of marriages end in divorce is actually a huge, weak statistic? That when you actually put it to a challenge, when you challenge the statistic and and who they actually uh, ask these questions, it was was very remote. It uh, It wasn't as expounded as people thought. In fact, they even went as far to say that the, that statistic of 50% didn't even change with evangelical Christians. Do you know what the requirement for what the question was to tell if people were Christians or not? Would you consider yourself Christian? That's a super weak question to, ter- to determine like, okay, well, they're Christians. 
if you're really wanting to determine if someone's a practicing Christian, you have to ask questions like, how often uh, do you go to church regularly throughout the throughout the month, let alone the year? Do you are you active in your faith? It had no questions like that. Just very bland. Would you consider yourself a Christian? Most people do. And so what I'm getting at is that marriage is actually so much stronger than what our culture has led us to believe. I'm not exactly sure why our culture is pushing so much that marriage is not beneficial or that it's useless. Because it's one of the strongest things within any nation, let alone within any family. And the, a really good statistic to reference, though, is 70% of couples that move in together before getting married break up. Why is that? They try to enjoy the pleasures of marriage without the responsibility or commitment of marriage. Every couple fights when they move in together. The difference between a married couple and a, a, a non-married couple is that a married couple is already committed to each other to where they're going to just have to work it out. A, 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 other, a different couple that's not married, what they, what they end up believing is, man, good thing we tried this. Now I know it wouldn't work out. There's so many great, amazing, good chemistry couples that end up breaking up because they moved in together and they they just self-sabotage. You cannot enjoy the passions for the moment. You have to look at passion for something to last. I hope that this little sidetrack made sense to you. You know, closing on this idea about passion, Nehemiah, in this little excerpt, he's talking about how he lent, lent to people so much without charging any kind of interest. It also show he also later describes how he didn't even collect any taxes. He was made governor for that temporary period. He didn't collect any taxes from the people while uh, while previous governors would. He he didn't collect any money from the people. He he literally gave everything he possibly could to help people in that time. He was so sacrificial. He he talks about how every night all the food that was given to him by the king, he would share with all the, as many people as he could. He said every night he would have 150 people eat with him at his table. He's literally giving all that he can to support people while other people are trying to still act selfishly. When it comes to calling it, it's not about me. It's about what we're building. Again, a great reference to marriage. If you're really building a strong marriage, it's not about me, but something that we're building. When you're, when you're raising kids, it's not about me, but what I'm building in them. When you're, doing, when you're starting your own business, when you're going to school, when you're doing anything, even just your career path at your job, it's not about me, but what I'm building. It's people that think like that that get the best promotions and the best raises. It's people that think like that that, that start the best businesses. It's people that think like that that get the best grades. It's people that think like that that raise the best kids. It's people that think like that that have the healthiest marriages. Let's close up on this last point. And it's one of my favorite points. And it's titled, Why Should I? Why Should I? There will always be people who want to distract and dis discourage you. There will always be people who want to distract and discourage you. In Nehemiah chapter 6 verses 1 
going forward. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? The four times, four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations and Geshem tells me, and the surrounding nations and Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that that is why you are building the wall. According to his report, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth to any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. <laughs> this I want to pause here because this is such a powerful story about not letting the people that are just simply addicted to haterade stop you. What is that, that saying that, that haters are your motivators? This, this dude literally said, I continue the work with even greater determination. It is almost as if some people in the world are so distracted by your calling and what you're doing that they made it their life's mission to distract you from yours. Sanballat consistently tried to take him away from his work. And notice how he even tried to give an appearance of innocence and even this appearance that I'm actually trying to help you out. You have to use discernment with people, dude. If you just believe whatever people tell you, they're going to distract you your entire life. They're going to discourage you your entire life. You're never going to be able to do anything great. And you can't just trust anybody. It says that he realized that they were trying to harm him. Even though they were saying, I'm actually trying to help you out. Let's come and talk this over so that we can straighten it all out and you can finish what you're doing. He's saying, why should I? Why should I? Everything that you're saying doesn't matter. It's not true. Why should I waste my time to prove what you're saying isn't true? I'm busy. If we could just capture this simple idea and realize that as Christians, we can have a backbone, we would do so many great things for God. But we get so caught up in wondering about people's feelings and wondering about uh, whether we're people-pleasing or not. And honestly, get a backbone. Nehemiah got a backbone of iron in this story. He had so this is not the only instance. There's so many more times where people kept bothering him and trying to intimidate him. And he just writes him off and just gives him the hand. He says, back off. I'm busy. And 
it just shows us that we do not have to be a doormat, we don't have to be a punching bag, and we don't have to say yes to everything. We can say no. Why should I? And we have to use discernment when people are trying to grab for our focus. And I want to share this next part of the story because I believe it has so much emphasis. It says in verse 10 through 13 in chapter 6, Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, Let's us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his own life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. (coughs) They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. Don't simply trust a person because of their position. Man, if there's anything that 2020 has taught me, it's that. Do not trust somebody just because of their position. Our world is filled with moral rot. There is practically no character within so many people nowadays. And we have to prayerfully analyze the voices and people sharing their advice to us. Especially the people that are trying to take our focus. And when God has called you to do something, and it seems like somebody is telling you to do otherwise, or to slow down, or to stop, but everything within you has has given you this green light to move forward, why should you listen to their voice? Use some discernment. You don't have to just listen to them. With the amount of people that I've talked to that are so incredibly hurt by church because a pastor said this about them. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say that they've never gone back to church because of some pastor that said that they're destined to go to hell or that they they called them out in the middle of service and called them this evil sinner or blah, blah, blah. And and they, they believe it. And don't get me wrong. This... This toxic leadership and toxic leader abuse within churches is a pandemic itself. But why should we believe them when everything within us knows? If you read the Bible yourself, you can know. It's almost like the Holy Spirit tells people and and urges their heart to know that it's not true. It's like everybody knows that God loves them deep within themselves. But when some random person that has known you for, what, 20 minutes tells you all these ugly things and tell you you're never going to amount to anything, tells you that you're dumb and that you're worthless, whatever, it ruins us. Why should it stop us from moving forward? I also find that whether it's selfish gain, envy, or simply pridefulness, this pride in discouraging others, some people think that they're God's hitman. Some people are, are, they have something to gain in getting you to stop. Whatever it is, people try to use their voice to distract you from your calling, to distract you from your right, to distract you from God's voice. And it is unnecessary to apologize 
for refusing to be distracted from what's important to you right now. I want to sit to, to really close on this idea. What is important to you right now? For Nehemiah, his work right then and there was most important and he wasn't going to let anything stop him. What is most important to you right now? Like I said at the beginning of this message, I think that 2020 gave us a lot of clarity of what is actually most important to us right now. Because it, it caused us not to be able to be so distracted from this, that, or the other. But it forced us to be in the right now. Whether it's church, whether it's a job, your school, whether it's, uh, whether it's God, or whether it's your family, especially if it's your marriage, you really don't have any time to stop what you're doing. You don't have any time for someone to take you away from that. You have to be present right now. And if there's anything for us to walk into the year 2021, it's that being present right now. I, I so believe within myself that we have allowed ourselves for years, decades, for things and people, jobs, whatever, to take us away from what is so most important. I don't know how many marriages that I know personally that became broken because of the couple, one of the spouses being so distracted with people pulling them away. <coughs> I, I really want you to think for this moment, even if you have to just pray, close your eyes and think, what is important to me right now? And ask God, what is it you're trying to tell me in this message? And I believe that for so many of you, from when we first started this talk, you knew what it was. And this time and time, it just like everything we talked about, it seemed like it was like just hitting it over and over and over. And God is trying to affirm something to you that he had already spoken to you. I really believe that this is a moment for you to be affirmed and know that God is telling you to go God's speed into the work that he's called you to do, no matter what it is, and to be present in the moment. Maybe throughout this message, you realized that the biggest thing that has been calling you is Jesus himself. And you realize that you've been so distracted and so taken away from whether it's all the craziness of this year or whether it's just simply being at home and being out of your routine to where now that you're out of your routine, you haven't made time to change and adapt your routine to put God first in your life. Maybe this is a moment where you really feel like this is a, a date to remember where Jesus is calling you and you feel like this thing within yourself that you need to make a decision. The Bible makes it so abundantly clear that Jesus paid for the sins of the world by dying on the cross and that he proved that the payment was valid when he rose from the dead. The Bible also says in the book of Romans 
that it's not the fear of judgment that draws us to repentance, but the kindness of God, that God would love us even when we were yet sinners. And I really believe that we, we have developed this false idea of who God is, of who Jesus is, and most of us have made him hell insurance. We just really don't want to go to hell, and so we say, I'm a Christian. Uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. But what God is really calling you to, calling everybody to, is to enter a relationship that is authentic with Him. It says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus did what He said He did, that He is who He said He is, that He is the Son of God who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose from the dead. If you believe it, say it out loud, what it is, is saying, Talk to Jesus and acknowledge what he really did and be authentic about it. It says, if you do that, then surely you shall be saved. And I so believe that it's not just saved from the H-E double hockey stick, hell, but that it's saved in this world to where we go through so much turmoil. This year, people have sacrificed so much, have felt so much pain, so much hurt. I believe that the thing that God saves us from is also within this world because the Bible says that He promises us peace, a peace that nobody can take away. So if you're listening to this and you feel compelled or moved to start today in walking in this relationship with Jesus, I want you to have that prayer moment. Did you know that the word repent actually just means to turn away from, to change direction? It's not a really spiritual word. It just means that we are in one direction in our life, but when we repent, we're walking in a different direction, and that's towards Jesus. If you're ready to do that today, I want you to just have a simple prayer and talk to God. Just say it with your mouth. You don't even need me to lead you through it. Just be real and talk to God and tell Him that you really want to start this journey with Him, that you want to walk with Him, that you want Him to lead you and guide you, and that you want to experience what it's really like to have a relationship with Jesus. Ask Him to forgive you of all your past and to help you to move forward with the Holy Spirit. We are not cha- we, we, we do, we're not perfect. We just walk in the direction of Jesus. And that is the simplest way I could put it. If you make that kind of prayer today, I want you to message us, drop a comment, whatever it is, and it is so important to connect with the community so that you don't have to walk through it alone. All of us are broken people that have been made alive in Jesus. Our name Gravetop is two meanings. We recognize that Jesus stands on top of the grave, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And it also means that we are no longer dead, but we are alive in Christ. I'm, I'm no longer the dead man that was walking around in this world. I am alive and I stand on top of the grave and I will be resurrected in in eternity. And so I want you to know that this is an important day. And if this is your first time making a decision like this, or maybe this is the first time where you're like coming back to God and you want to take it for real, let this be an important day that you write down. For me, the day that I made a decision like that was January 27th, 2010. And that's the day where I decided to give Jesus everything in my heart, to trust him even with my peace. And it was the best day of my life. And I never forget it. 
Let it be a day that you remember in 2020. With that being said, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of this message today. I hope that it was meaningful for you. I hope that it was edifying to your faith. With, with everything that's happened this year, we wanted to look forward to 2021 with purpose and direction. And we're going to be walking in purpose and direction by starting the year with a 21-day fast. If you've never fasted before, and even if you have, this is a perfect chance to really strengthen your faith. So many of us at Gravetop are new believers. So many of us have never done a fast before and we're committing to do this fast. You do not have to feel afraid or timid or anxious. We're all just trying to do our best and forget the rest. This 21 days, it's going to start on the first Sunday of the month, which is January 3rd. It's a Sunday. We're going to start that fast. And the last day is the 23rd, which is a Saturday. So that means that, that, that Sunday is going to be a great day where we can eat whatever we want. But for these 21 days, we're really just giving God the first part of the year and saying, God, we trust you that no matter what happens this year, even if it's a repeat of 2020 or something worse, or pray to God, it's something even just so much better that we walk into a new glory. God, we want to put you first. And when we put God first, he blesses the rest. And I really believe that, that this moment of, of fasting, what you're doing is saying, my flesh is not as important as my spirit. God, I want to grow closer to you. It's something that is just really simple. And if you do this, I'm telling you, you're going to have your faith encouraged and you're going to grow. If, you, if you're thinking about doing the fast, we're putting out infographics. We're, we're giving out a lot of information. We even did a, a message. And you can look back. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes. And it's titled Fasting. And it's where we describe all the th details about fasting if you've never fasted before. But please think about it. If it's something even just tingling in your heart, maybe that's something that God's calling you to do. Just jump into it. Don't let. Don't get so caught up in the details like, how am I going to, well, I have to go to work. And what if the fast messes up my routine at work? Well, I'm supposed to be start working out. Dude, don't get lost in the details. Just start fasting with us. The other thing that we're going to be doing is a New Testament challenge. We love to read the Bible every single year. We go through a one-year reading plan every year. And in January, we do a New Testament challenge every year. So we read the whole New Testament in 30 days. It's a great way to just drink from a fire hydrant. And I'm telling you, you're going to get something out of it. it. It is something to where it's so powerful to where whether you've read through the Bible before or whether you've never read it before, it is something edifying and powerful to do. Read it with us. Don't get so afraid or timid. Don't think that you can't do it. Don't have a fear of failure. Read through the New Testament with us. Even if you just download the YouVersion Bible app and, and listen to the whole month on audio, you're going to get so much out of it. I promise. And we're going to be doing it together. All you have to do is go. You can find it either on an Instagram or our website, gravetop.com. Click resources and you'll see reading plans there. You can join the reading plan straight from our website, the new through 30. And we, we're going to be reading through it together this month. And, and if you're thinking, well, I've already read it before. I feel like I zone out. 
Maybe this year try a different translation. If you've done it in the NLT before, try the NIV. If you've done it in that version, try the NASB. If you you really want to get crazy, try the message version. It'll be like reading the Bible for the very first time. I'm telling you, just try it out and do it with us. I read the Bible every single year because it grows my faith. It brings me closer to God. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's something that we continuously go over. With all that being said, we're really excited for 2021. And if you have that on your heart to give today, we want you to know that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to. We believe it's a, such a personal act of worship that is between you and God. We are simply stewards of that act of worship. We're stewards of that gift. And we, we really value that trust and in, in our, our responsibility in stewarding that. So if you do feel it on your hearts to give, and uh, whether it is out of an act of worship or whether it's simply out of to support Gravetop Church because it's been a blessing to you, we, you can do that by going to gravetop.com, click the Give tab, you can give online that way, or you can give through third-party apps like Venmo or Cash App. Every time that you give, it makes a difference at Gravetop Church. And not only it empowers us to have um, these, these real uh, edifying messages, but empowers us to connect with people that have not been connected to church before. There's so many stories that are part of the Gravetop family that those of you who are generous, those of you who give, have empowered to make happen. And we're so grateful for you guys. With all that being said, we love you. We hope you have a great rest of your evening. Hope that this starts your week off right. Remember, we're going to be continuing to have Gravetop Online Church from Mondays from now on. We love y'all so much. Have a great rest of your night. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.